just look at this mess. My bookshop! Jeez, those construction guys just drove bulldozers right through the front door of the video store. It looks like they even backed through the bookshop. My bookshop! Where it looks like they did donuts. Ugh. And power slides? Ugh. Can you do a power slide in a bulldozer? Uh, Hell yeah, you can. What? My... My... My bookshop. Mm. I'm pretty sure the sub-basements in the old missile silo are intact, but... Yeah. This place looks like Dresden after the bombing. Well... I need a drink. But they took the bar, man. The whole bar. Well, we could go to that tiki bar by the river. You mean the pirate-themed one? That's the one. It would give us a good excuse to do a conclave on 1984's Ice Pirates. I mean, you had me at bar. Hmm. Wait. My bookshop. Hey, Robbie. Yes. Daddy. Daddy. What? Uh, Robbie, stay here and try and clean this place up. Understood. Daddy. Brother Methuselah. Yes? Summon the Uber. Within a pirate-themed tiki bar, one Uber ride away from what was once the strip mall of the damned past the pirate flags and board waitstaff playing on their cellular devices. Beyond the shrimp buffet filled with shellfish of dubious consumption date, a secret society assembles. To scrutinize those films that drive viewers to madness and disillusion, draw closer, dear listener, and let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. We, we the fellows of the Lenses of Palm do convene to judge if it's a cinema worthy of our esteem, or whether it should cast down our worthless hokum. Let us start our friends in shit. We the fellows of Yo ho ho. Welcome to Captain McBlood Gulper's Tiki Bar and Seafood Buffet. Please seat yourself, me hearties. All right. Just because we've gone rogue doesn't mean we ignore protocol. I call this conclave a 1984's sci-fi spectacular Ice Pirates into session. Uh, oh. oh, hey, here's my gavel. It's been in my pocket the whole time. And here I was thinking you're sporting a truly massive erection. You flatter me, sir. I shall call Roll. I am Sinquisitor Ethan, Keeper of the Lenses. Verifier Andy, Master Illuminator. Auntie Hope, Keeper of the books. Fuck. Professor Andrea, Scholar of San Francisco. Repositor Andre, Voice from the Outer World. <laughs> Profligator Daniel, possessor of the word. I am Scrutinizer Zachariah, guardian of the door. Be seated. 
I will serve as point effects of presentment for this on Pontifex. Ah, uh, potato, potato. All right, Pontifex. All right. I will serve as Pontifex of presentment for this conclave. Professor Andrea will act as master castigator. Professor Andrea, read the list of charges. Charges against the film Ice Pirates include piracy of ice, inability to sustain a narrative for longer than four and a half minutes, counterfeit chainmail, using George Lucas as a creative muse, handling space herpes without proper protective gear, criminal overuse of shoulder pads, robot pandering, failure to properly resolve narrative, and castration on an industrial scale. <laughs> Actual trigger warnings include racist stereotypes, use of racial epithets, playing fast and loose with consent, and mild implied body horror. Fellow cultists, we must plan our next move. I found this convenient treasure map laminated onto the table. We appear to be right near Blood Skull Cove. I think that might be the kid's menu. Don't be a fool! Would anyone trust a child with a guide to a suspiciously large amount of buried treasures? If we could find this treasure, we could buy hundreds of strip malls of the damned. But first, drinks. Drinks! Yo-ho-ho, me scurvy buccaneers. What can I fetch ye to ease your appetite? Our specials today are the bottomless grog if you buy a Captain McBlood Gulper Collector's Edition Tiki Mug and the R-You-Can-Eat Shrimp Buffet. I hear it talk. How delicious. A round of bottomless grog for my brave crew. You're buying, Professor. Wait, why me? Because you're the only one of us with a real job. Really? Uh, so... Can I get a tequila mockingbird? No. How about an old glory? No. Lotus Blossom? No. Biltmore? No. Summer Breeze? No. Sangria? No. Seriously? Our bartenders aren't allowed to handle fresh fruit. Not since our last health inspection. Uh, I guess I'll just have a picture of the margaritas then. What's, what's this one? The signature cocktail? The clam bam thank you ma'am? Vodka, vermouth, clam juice, half and half, shaken vigorously and strained into a glass with a salted rim. Tastes as good as it sounds. We'll have a round of those for the table. Will I have to drink it? Yes. I refuse to pay for that. That is a war crime, not a cocktail. Fine. Seconded. A round of bottomless grog for my brave crew. And a scotch with a bourbon chaser. I'll take a portion of spicy sea dog fries on a junior buccaneer burger. And I'll have a zombie and the R you can eat shrimp. There's nothing on the menu but seafood. Yes, it is a seafood restaurant. I hate seafood. Can I have the chicken nuggets, please? One basket of Cap'n McBlood Gulper's spicy nuggets. Those are chicken, right? <laughs> a vast. I'll be back with your drinks and nuggets. I didn't get an answer. Should I be worried that I didn't get an answer? Uh, maybe? 
Depends on how allergic you are to Nug. So, so who's first up for our summary of Stuart Raffles' 1984 swashbuckling space epic, Ice Pirates? Well, since I'm the only one not engrossed in the kids' menu... Hey! I mean, treasure map. I can read it. Ah, the future. The distant future. Or perhaps the distant past. Distant present? Who knows? Who cares? It's a movie from the 80s. You could have a frothy mix of Errol Flynn's Captain Blood and Star Wars. The 80s, when zero shits were given because everyone was coked out of their fucking tracksuits. Thankfully, this picture came out a few years after George Lucas got over his phase of reflexively suing anyone that even thought in the shower about ripping off his own ripoff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Postmodern pastiche of Dune, Flash Gordon, and Hidden Fortress. Postmodern pastiche. More like piss mental pageantry. But a rip it off we go. For every potential copyright infringement, we shall ring this bell to signify a point of vulnerability to attack by the Holy Rodent Empire or other litigious holders of copies, right? Copies, right? Yeah, you know, like attorneys general. Uh, Ice Pirates opens with a text crawl. Done in florid calligraphy, which tells the viewers that water is the most precious substance in the galaxy. Andre Hush. This is that rare and specific subgenre of science fiction we call bullshit. Galactic water scarcity is our premise, and we're sticking to it. If you couldn't tell by the swashbuckling music track, this picture's very tongue-in-cheek. So, anyway, water is the most precious substance in the galaxy. Andy, that's as close as we're going to come to orthodox herpetarianism. And the supply of water is ruthlessly controlled by the Spanish crown. Uh, sorry. Evil Templars from the planet Mithra. Opposing them? <clears throat> An alliance of rebel pirates. Who keep the resistance alive by stealing ice from the Templar fleet. And ahoy, me hearties. There's our title. Since ice expands as it freezes... It might actually be easier to just steal water, but why nitpick in such a slick flick? Such a slick flick, such a slick flick, such a slick flick. Now give me a bus. Continuing to crib notes from George Lucas by beginning in Meteorez, we are introduced to the rebels, uh, pirates, as they're setting up to raid a galleon, or space freighter. Time to meet our brave pirate crew, which consists of Angelica Houston as Maida, Ron Perlman as Zeno, and Robert Urich as Captain Jason, who straps on weapons and lines up the target. Roscoe, played by badass Michael D. Roberts, services a cadre of what we will charitably call combat robots. This is all done with classic late 70s compositing techniques and practical models that look like they were ripped straight out of the OG Battlestar Galactica. So far, so charming, in its own way. Oh, a note about the aforementioned combat robots. These are some pretty banging costumes, and very different from Star Wars, oh. Oh. by which we mean cheaper. Even more fun is that inside the costumes are a bunch of 80s b-boys all doing the robot the whole goddamn time. Get it? They're robots doing the robot? Get it? Get it? 
Well, you know, this is the era of breaking two electric boogaloos, so maybe they got Eldolfo Shabadoo. I can't imagine the headaches these guys must have had after a day of shooting. If you're an 80s b-boy, you take the work you can get, and there's not much of it. No, that was the heyday. They were, like, swimming in work, and they went, you know, let's be robots. I think Crawford might have had a bone to pick with these guys. Also, you know, the whole thing about, like, you know, ice, ice pirates, cocaine, 80s. Anyone seen the connection here? Uh, <laughs> oh, you're reading into it, surely. Allegedly. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> that would have been snow pirates, I think. Snow pirates. <laughs> Time to raid the galleon, me bold buckos. We cut through a bulkhead and pass an alien, picking his nose as it takes a dump. This sequence really sets the tone for the entire picture, which maintains a cartoonish mix of literal swashbuckling sci-fi action and slapstick comedy. As the pirates run around, they end up encountering Princess Karina, played by Mary Crosby, daughter of Bing Crosby, and half-aunt of Denise Crosby. Yarmy hearties. <laughs> the princess is sleeping off a bad apple in a stasis bubble, and Captain Jason decides to do the Argonauti and abduct her for ransom. This setting up the classic romance trope of the 80s. Hunky bad boy pirate with a heart of gold. Beautiful princess who pretends she isn't taken with him, but we all know they're going to get it on later. The Templar ship set is pretty amusing. Dressed as it is with Ikea lighting fixtures and set pieces literally recycled from Logan's run. We've seen the future, and it comes flat packed with an Allen wrench. It may be cheap, but it's a fun place for a bunch of ragtag space pirates to run around bucking Templar swashes. There's yet more slapstick with the pirate robots whose complement includes Overzealous Midget Bot, On the Fritz Bot, and Craven Coward Bot, who literally craps itself in terror when told to spar with the superior Templar Killbots. Don't worry, the Killbots slip and fall in Coward Bot's puddle of leavings, and they get hacked to pieces by Midget Bot. For those of you counting, that's the second dookie joke in five minutes. Comedy gold, folks. More like comedy brown. Oh, God. We used to call that black gold. The pirates cut and run with the princess on a whole bunch of ice. Even though the pirate ship splits three ways as a decoy, our heroes still end up on the wrong end of our ominous villain entrance. They're taken prisoner by our effete main baddie, Zorn. Played by the hatchet-faced, scenery-devouring Jeremy West. He's wearing his finest glittery bathrobe and tiny gold hat into battle. We're talking lounge lizard Ming the Merciless here. <laughs> Zorn hisses a few threats, executes the wounded to show off his villainry, and sends our heroes off to get redesigned. Best, worst euphemism ever. Yeah. Now here we find the best part of this whole film, I think, because <laughs> Jeremy West is incredible, and I love him. He is so Weasley, it's fantastic. <laughs> it really feels like he's he's trying to steal Peter Cushing's uh, fire here, and he just can't quite pull it off. But he's, no. he's definitely like like playing Peter Cushing. Yeah, it's like, we can't get Peter Cushing. Can we get Jeremy West? All right. <laughs> Wasn't Peter Cushing dead by this point? Uh, oh, yeah, I think he did. He died after Star Wars, between Star Wars and Empire, so. That doesn't matter. They can just prop him up. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Do a whole weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, to be fair, this is where we see that a lot of the acting in this film is being done by the wardrobe because Jeremy West just <laughs> looks amazing. Oh, the shoulder pads. 
I, I think they had to downsize the hat because the shoulder pads were so big. It was like, you know, I had to balance him out. You got to do something, otherwise he's too top heavy. He's got to turn sideways to go through doors. Shoulder pads are just straight up going to eat him. The strange combination of like uh, Catholic, <laughs> Catholic uh, robes, but with like, you know, Flash Gordon stylings. There's a difference? He looks like he's halfway through an escape from a disco Venus flytrap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Just like a, it's like, he's like a, a cardinal pimp. Yeah. Cardinal. There's a difference? We next see our heroes in a cage full of other prisoners bound for Mithra. Among the human refuse, we meet Killjoy, played by former Oakland Raiders defensive lineman John the Twos Matuzak, who's best known for his role as Sloth. In 1985's hey, The Goonies, guys. the twos had a truly charming screen presence. And it's a total shame he died so young, allegedly blowing up his heart by speedballing cocaine and Darvaset. Allegedly. allegedly. Did you hear that? <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, we all heard it. Allegedly. He was actually murdered by JFK. You know, he was a, a great actor. I really enjoyed watching him and everything. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> I heard he went into the same witness lo- relocation as Jimmy Hoffa, so... <laughs> you know the reference, right? Why Slot said, hey, you guys? No. That was from the electric company. That's how they yeah. opened the electric company every time with this lady going, hey, you guys! Yeah, that's why he did it. Because so the they idea is that he watched Slotha. children's programming. Yeah, they like it. locked him up in a room with the TV, because he is... And yeah, since he was like childlike he watched the electric company and all of my questions about the american educational system are answered in one moment (laughs) well not just that but this is also a really he sloth is a really early example of the pop culture oroboros because he communicates almost exclusively in sound bites from tv shows and movies the precursor to memes yeah even the ruth ruth Baby Ruth, you know that was that was from a that was from a commercial as well. You know? Yeah, Sloth is basically Max Headroom. <laughs> yes. Anyhow, despite his name, Killjoy probably didn't get that name by being a lovely fella. He has no quandary with both stealing from his fellow prisoners and impersonating clergy to get out of his sentence. We overhear the princess Zorn and their entourage giving away the plot as they exposition about water and some place called the Seventh World where the princess's father disappeared. This is when we find out what happens at the redesigned warehouse. And it's not underpriced home goods. Guards herd our plucky pirates onto a conveyor belt to get stripped, shaven, lobotomized, and finally, emasculated. Nope. No bell? Fuck if I've ever seen this in another film. And I've seen Caligula repeatedly. That explains a lot. (laughs) This bit actually really stuck with me as a kid, because I was like, I was about like, Five or five or six when I saw this, and I'm just like, oh, what? Oh, yeah. no, oh. I remember this. Oh, <laughs> Boomer what? You understood that at five? Just, why? I didn't understand that they didn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this didn't awaken anything in you. <laughs> no, no, it did not. That explains it. awakened. Uh, the opposite of awakened, <laughs> it just shrunk up. <laughs> it away. Yeah. <laughs> it was cold. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) It was just trying to hide, man. (laughs) A set of macerating mechanical mandibles menaces our main men's meat. But they pass through. Nice. Miraculously intact. Princess Karina and her nanny have secretly spared them. 
But now they've got Jason and Roscoe dangling by the dangly bits in exchange for their help in finding the princess's long-lost daddy issue. And they can't say no, unless they want to say goodbye to Mr. Goodbar. So how did the princess and nanny know how to mess up the machinery? I've always wondered that. Well, mechanical castration machine maintenance is page one of the princess handbook. It's taught in every home ec class. It's uh, taught in all princesses' uh, finishing school. I I bet there they've done this before. This wasn't their first rodeo. This is this <laughs> <been> tried and <laughs> failed a million the times. <laughs> the last set of ice you know, pirates you know, died. Man, you know, horribly in a land speeder accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, back to back to the redesign center and see if we can grab another group. Maybe yes, we're gonna need some out. more ice pirates. <laughs> the redesign center sounds like space IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first Jason. <laughs> they kind of look like Space Ikea in there, too. <laughs> if you want to be a galactic space princess, you need balls. A lot of them. Okay, okay, but here's the thing, though. If Now, if you're imagining this like Ikea, you have to imagine the instruction manual that we were just talking about that they give them in, like, princess finishing school. No words, just little, like figures going, eh? Little pictographs. <laughs> right, little oh, pictographs. You know, if you need help, a a here's a phone call. I did, I did always wonder where Ikea got those Swedish meatballs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was told they were horse. I was told they were 50% horse. <laughs> oh. Nicely done. Nicely done. <laughs> okay, there was actually a bit, if you look in the background, there's an alien picking up uh, other body parts in the background. So they're not cutting off just the dangly bits. They're cutting off arms and legs and shit too. Oh shit, I didn't notice that. I never noticed that. Oh my god. <laughs> Fuck. Just because this wasn't problematic enough, turns out the redesigned are then stuffed literally into white unitards and powdered wigs, then sold at auction. Jason and Roscoe arrive at the redesigned sales floor, having been stuffed into unitards and wigs. Apparently the redesigned are sold like the used cars. Or, you know, some other race crime. I guess it says something about Mithraic society that they want both robots and humans turned into lobotomized eunuchs. There actually aren't that many people left in this society who aren't some kind of futuristic sex cyborg. Dibs on futuristic sex cyborg as a band. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm yes. gonna call dibs on lobotomized eunuchs. You, you have dibs on that. I'm gonna take it from here. <laughs> they all head out to a party where disco never died. This is Valhalla for cool in the gang, reinterpreted through an 18th century futurist's fever dream. And guess who's back? Killjoy! Hanging out in the robot closet disguised in some uh, uh, plate armor. You have no idea how Killjoy got there or why. He's just there. Deus es machina. Uh, the, uh, the, the ice pirates are around serving, um, uh, serving canapes and other nibbles uh, on platters as they wander this party. You know, you know what's disturbing about that? This is a whole society and stuff where there's no longer water and they're serving oysters. Where do you think they get the oysters? From the redesign center? What Ooh. kind of oysters are they? <laughs> are they Rocky Mountain I mean, oysters? What, what? <laughs> yeah, oh, talk, about, 
talk Jeez. about like insult to injury. They they uh, cut off your nuts and then literally have you serve them to them on a plate. Oh, well, oh ring the, the bell. Soylent green is people. Yeah. Yeah, Soylent green is people. That's where I hear got all the meatballs. It's not horse meat. <laughs> Zorn is at the party too, wearing gold shoulder pads so massive he has to enter room sideways, and he catches on that the princess has nefarious plans involving the ice pirates, just as he's about to seize them. The gang escapes on a motorcycle with Killjoy in literal tow, like they're dragging him in his armor. Poor Killjoy. Yeah, <laughs> smart. I'm sure he had a heart of gold. <laughs> Well, it's the twos, you know, he's used to getting dragged around on the ground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there is now a completely unnecessary chase sequence that looks like it was lifted shot for shot out of the Blues Brothers. Ba, 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 ba. All right. And dubbed over with the light cycle sound effects from Tron. No, literally, actually, they do steal the lines. Yeah, and it's the, it doesn't just sound like it. It is the actual same, same sound effect. So much recycling. <laughs> Maybe they were ahead of their time, you know? Recycling becomes cool later. There, uh, There is also a throwaway gag where a child bot and mother bot of a robot family of three are annihilated in an act of vehicular robocide by our heroes. The surviving daddy bot spins around, vocoder wailing, baby, mommy, baby. And the filmmakers play this for laughs. No bell? Again, nothing. I can't think of a movie I've ever seen that plays the accidental murder of a mother and child duo for laughs. Video games are another matter, of course. Looking at you, Redneck Rampage. Oh man, I am so glad Robbie didn't watch this movie. To quote Rick James, cocaine's a hell of a drug. Give me that, Clark Nova. I just gave you one. Don't make me get out the Narcan. Try me, scuttle buddy. Oh, I just thought of another movie that uses the death of a mother and a kid for laughs. What's that? Hobo with a shotgun. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> oh God, you're right. Of course they would have done that. Oh, I yep. totally forgot about that. Shit, hit the bell then. Yep. Uh, hit the bell. <laughs> All right. And don't forget Bambi. I laughed like a drain. <laughs> you know, that explains you a lot. Because you laughed, Andy, doesn't mean it was played for laughs. Roscoe and Killjoy get separated from Jason and Karina, but they still manage to get away due to the timely intervention of, and I am making none of this up, Zax the Robopimp and his bad cherry ad. Are you, are you allowed to make a voice like that? Is that okay? Do we need a trigger <laughs> warning? <laughs> I, I mean, maybe we give citations, but he's quoting the movie. <laughs> word for fucking word. <laughs> The, the, the art department created an actual, for real, remote-controlled robot with a chest-mounted CRT showing porno movies and LED facial expressions, and the whole thing has a silvery hologram carapace that looks like the cover of a Trapper Keeper. <laughs> What's worse, and I mean a lot worse, is it speaks in 70s blaxploitation jive patois, bloods. <laughs> I think that's called Ebonics. No. no, 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 this is Jive. No, no, no. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Was, was okay. no, I was just trying to this make a joke. This is Jive. We, we don't have to put that and in it there. Makes the, it makes the Jive gag from, from Airplane look tame by comparison. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and even yes. if you see nothing else in this film, and there's a lot of shit to see in a film completely encrusted with sequins and quaaludes, you must see this to believe it. 
<laughs> Excuse me, Robo Pimp. I speak jive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 their defense. It wasn't showing hardcore porn on the screen. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. For a second, that's I was the like, defense. there is that's no the defensiveness. Defense. That's all I got. And then you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> that's all you're I got. Defending the racism. We're good. Okay. <laughs> At least it's a family-friendly prostitute situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it read the room. It's like Handerbot Five does. Oh. This later, like this, this same concept got uh, lifted, shall I say, borrowed by uh, Conan O'Brien with Pimpbot 2000. But honestly, oh, yeah. this place, these guys did it first and best. <laughs> uh, oh, after these pointless the yet entertaining diversions, uh, our heroes finish their escape off screen as Zeno and the rest of the Templars exit the club while being verbally assailed by the bereft daddy bot still crying, Mommy! Baby! Because the first time around wasn't funny enough, I guess? I mean, okay, it is a little bit funny. He's so upset. Ah, schadenfreude. It just occurred to me that Hobo with the shotgun came out after this, so it was actually um, taking off from this. Oh, oh, there's also the original uh, assault on Precinct 13 where that guy shoots the kid with the ice cream in the face. Sorry. Oh, did that I, kill the kid? I'm sorry. Is that like when Robocop shot that guy in the dick? Oh, no, this was even funnier. <laughs> right, this but you was... don't have the family oh, okay. wailing. You don't have the family wailing about it. And like no, you... Wailing plate for You don't. Well, no, you there's don't. no family left. It's just the dad. <laughs> the left sad daddy. Wait, I forget. Was it the dad oh who shot God, the kid look, in the he's... face with the ice cream? No, it was uh, the evil gang gangbangers who were mm. later on Assault Precinct 13. I mean, do I have to explain the whole movie to you? It's a tale as old as time. Wrong, wrong movie, Zach. <laughs> wrong movie. Okay. Tale as old as time. After the Templars bitch about the princess and her pirates escaping in the background, we're done on Mithra and we cut to Karina's ship. The ice pirates run around flipping switches and Nanny slips Karina a blaster. All right, guys. I've been a nanny, and I can tell you this kind of behavior is not condoned by most parents. Giving your charge a weapon is typically a fireable offense. But maybe the rules are different when you're in charge of a space princess? Eh. In the confusion, Roscoe opens a broom closet, dumping a variety of objects on the floor, including a leathery egg-like object, which the camera follows and lingers on. I guess this will mean something later, but it's a very significant egg. Oh, oh, and Killjoy is just magically there again. This time with the ship's garbage robot, which looks like a trash can on wheels. Its only defining features are a tongue and a puppy whimper. Did I mention allegedly co-cattled marginalia? There's more exposition about some jerk named Blanky Nibs before Jason Smugly tries to take over Karina's ship, but she calmly rebuts. One, she is armed, thanks to the grossly unethical nanny. Two, Jason and crew are welcome to go back for redesigning. Three, the ship's rigged to self-destruct if the water's tampered with, because what the fuck? Oh, and fuck you, four, that's why. She, <laughs> oh, nice. and four, she also has a killbot butler named Percy, who looks like he's on loan from Robo Chippendales. <laughs> Seriously, he has a bow tie and cuffs, but no shirt. And whose politeness is only matched by his skills at Robo Jitsu, wherever the hell he came from. He has other skills. We learn about them later. <laughs> how, how many names do you think they went through before they settled on Lanky Nibs? What do you think that thought process Zero. was like? I would, no, no, no. I would go straight to Lanky Nibs. That's perfect. I don't know. Maybe they thought of like floppy nips. 
I believe in the first draft he was called Tall Person McNipples. <laughs> <laughs> uh, elsewhere, Zorn gets a face-to-face with the Templar Supreme Commander, played by an extremely elderly and infirm John Carradine. Really? Thank you. Take your pick, man. Nocturna, really? The Secret of Nim, Vampire Hookers. The Supreme Commander, clearly the template for Warhammer 40K's God Emperor of Mankind, has been kept all these aeons in some kind of stasis bed. Out of respect, Zorn has traded down to his second most obnoxious gold shoulder pads, but is no less fabulous in a black and gold silk puffer jacket thing. Still with the tiny hat, though. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, he and Zorn chortle and twirl their figurative mustaches because everything is proceeding according to their cunning plan. They let Karina escape so she could lead them to the seventh world. I guess you could say she's on thin ice, pirates? No. No, no, don't say that. (laughs) No. no. (laughs) Now, remember that weird leathery egg thing from earlier? Well, it's back for another significant close-up TM. It hatches out what looks like a, uh, there's no easy way to say this, but flaccid penis ringed with teeth. Is this <laughs> Didn't I already tell you that Freud would have had a field day with this picture? <laughs> no, this is post-aliens. Ah, okay, good. And don't forget, if you step on someone's lines, I can isolate your stuff and pull it right. out. It's okay. Um, the thing crawls on Roscoe's exposed shoulder while he sleeps and begins to chew on it. He flings the thing away in revulsion, and it slithers across the deck, making horrible hog noises and shrieks. Um, we're treated to an extreme close-up of its face. Which looks like Satan's anus. And is a completely separate model created just so they could detail said facial features. Wow, <laughs> worth it! Before it disappears into an air vent. <laughs> facial <laughs> phrasing. Oh my god. It looks like <laughs> it looks like it's related to fucking Clark Nova. That's how bad it is. <laughs> Roscoe and Jason find the slime-dripping eggshell, um, then check the cargo manifest. Uh, we are now gravely informed that this extremely dangerous and incurable star beast is a space herpy, and everyone is grossed out. Anything? Nope. Nothing. I'm pretty sure this is the only movie with a space herpy. Oh, thank Christ. Why? Why would they have that? And why is it It's like entered into the manifesto, so it's just like, well, we're getting ready for space travel. <laughs> Don't forget the herpy. All right. Don't worry. If this bit doesn't make sense now, it still won't when it comes up again later. <laughs> we jump to Pirate Planet. Ooh, that's the title of a Doctor Who episode that Douglas Adams wrote, by the way. Um, Pirate Planet definitely has a Road Warrior meets Logan's Run vibe. Wonder why. <laughs> Uh, the ground effect vehicle our ice pirates are traveling in while ogling cat fights in the street is the very same ground effect vehicle that appeared in Logan's Run. Only now it's beat to shit and has the word limo stenciled on it in a very futuristic font. Or retro-futuristic font. They pull up to the pirate's den, which we know it's called the pirate's den because there's a neon sign to that effect inside the pirate's den. Super subtle. Love the subtlety. Subtlety! <laughs> <laughs> This turns out to be quite a hive of scum and villainy. Um, only here the waitress is the small medium from Poltergeist. Uh, Jason and Roscoe. Small medium, not a large medium? 
No, she's at large. No, she's a small medium. Extra large medium? Small medium? Medium medium? Extra medium. No, she's definitely a small medium. Uh, which reminds me, actually, I had a roommate who's, uh, who said his aunt was uh, the same actress who played uh, the medium. Uh, anyway, Jason and Roscoe are reunited with Maida and Zeno, Angelica Houston and Ron Perlman's characters. Um, and they also apparently both know Killjoy for some reason. Pirating it's a small universe. Is, uh, pretty small, I guess. Yes, that bingo. Small universe. Um, some outlaw types spy on the ice pirates, one of whom has a denuded African gray parrot on his shoulder. I feel sorry for the parrot here. You know how smart they are? This would be like shaving and dressing a chimp. Oh, Hollywood has done that too. Ding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe it was already bald. Like, like maybe it had the parrot version of alopecia or something. Maybe? I'd like to have some faith in humanity, guys. And here this comes the Will Smith slap. Not get the Humane Society steal of approval. Oh, God. Who made fun of anybody with alopecia? Huh? Bam! Keep my parrot's name out of your mouth. Jason manipulates Karina into seducing a local frog alien to take them out to Lanky Nibs Digs in Sweetwater, but as it turns out, Frog Dude is Frog Lady, and she is way into Jason. Ha ha, take that, casual misogyny. The outlaw types <laughs> interrupt to stir up a brawl, but Maida's quick, uh, quick sword work dispatches one and drives the other off. Okay, seriously, Angelica Houston is seriously badass in this scene. Like, I thought it was going to be like the 80s yeah. trope, little, like they're the only two women in the universe and they hate each other and they're going to have a little slap fight. But she just kicks ass. She kicks all the men's ass and then helps the frog lady. She's like super cool. So, yeah, props to Angelica yeah, Houston. She's really got one. a sort of strides into the room pussy first energy in this film. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. She like. She, no, she, no. Shoulder pads first, the- pussy second. <laughs> When she, when, she sli- when she slices that guy's face up and it just makes him say, ma'am. But hey, I mean, for the 80s, that was pretty uh, pretty good. Hope, I want that on a t-shirt now. <laughs> Shoulder pads first, pussy Shoulder second. Pads. <laughs> I feel like that that should be, that, that should have been uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign slogan. She would have won. Would that be an example of merchandise? Oh, oh, no. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Inappropriate dad joke. Okay. <laughs> we next encounter the ice pirates as they're traveling across the desert in Frog Lady's land ship, a solar-powered Mad Maxian contraption, as Frog Lady steers with one hand and tries to feel up Jason with the other. Jason is definitely not used to being on the receiving end of this kind of harassment. Um, <laughs> they arrive at Lanky Nibs Outpost, whose whole barter town light vibe of partially scrapped vehicles, frayed tarpaulins, and razor wire is immediately thrown into sharp relief by the variety of baby farm animals that inhabit it. It's called balance, guys. Yeah. Among the very real ducklings, baby donkeys, and piglets are some sock puppets, basically prairie dogs with unicorn horns. Again, we can only surmise this idea had its origins in Medellin. The quality of the effects in this film is really all over the map, but it's all like practicals. You have to forgive it legally. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's all real. It's all real. Behind all of these effects was someone with a small paycheck and a large glue gun. (laughs) 
I mean, we've we saw a freaking Forbidden Planet, which was all practical effects, and they made a badass vehicle. I mean, yeah, that was that was like 20, 30 years ma made thirty years before this flick. So you know, they have no excuses. None. That robot was well, made we by haven't a Japanese the... washing machine engineer. These guys <laughs> just had a couple of guys with Baco foil <laughs> and a hot glue gun and a lot of can-do spirit. The pirates okay. find Nibs, an elderly man in a wheelchair whose sole means of entertaining himself is torturing small animals with a slingshot. Ding. Um, Did, didn't Luke do that? <laughs> Shot Womp Rats with his did. T-80 whatever. Yeah, Womp Rats. T-88 calculator. Rats. Think of the Womp Rats. What, you were saying he was doing it out of pure sadism? He was bored. Well, yeah, you get... I mean, I've been to New Mexico. I know how boring it gets out there. It really puts a new spin on life on Tatooine, I guess. They filmed that in Tunisia, actually, which is even more boring than New Mexico. Tatunisia. I mean, he is a Skywalker, after all, so he's probably yeah. an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> more exposition ensues about the princess's father in the mythical seventh world, apparently Nib's pursuit of which caused him to fall into a time warp and rapidly age several decades. Well, it was just a jump to the left. And a step to the right. Excuse me. You folks, please keep it down over here. To the right. Sorry. Read the sign. No Monty Python references. No time warp. Nerds. Sorry. We won't do the time warp again. Yeah, this isn't that kind of tiki bar. Well, yada yada. Water from the seventh world can free the galaxy of oppressive Templar monopoly. Blah blah. Audience is getting bored now, so it's time for some action. Nibs wraps up his expository monologue as a group of bounty hunters, led by one of the surviving outlaws from the bar scene, arrives aboard the most asinine vehicular monstrosity ever committed to celluloid by an FX crew. Yeah, you can kind of see what they were aiming for. I mean, the vehicle, it's kind of good. It moves. It's a real vehicle, but at the same time, it's terrible. It's like, like an apocalyptic Mississippi steamboat designed by Kiss. <laughs> yeah, it really does. You know, you know I actually. But old man river, that old man river. <laughs> it has two giant steamroller wheels, a bunch of smaller road wheels that it actually uses to drive around, great big solar cell sails, and a giant foam rubber trihorn skull figurehead jiggling around on the front. Oh, <laughs> and a flame paint job. Can't forget that. The this flames is not make a model. They actually built this goddamn thing. George Miller may have been responsible for greenlighting some of the most ridiculous automotive contraptions in film, but even he would have found this rolling scrap heap too over the top. Yeah. Wait, you dinged that? Uh, David That's Carradine's awesome. Alligator Mobile from Death Race 2000 and The Killing Machine from Caligula come to mind immediately. You know what an officiato I am of, like, Mad Max movies and, and post-apocalyptic film? For some reason, I seem to remember there being a vehicle and a boy and his dog, and I feel like they got that and just slapped pirate shit all over it. I have a feeling that this is another steal. Could be. I don't know. But I'd have to check that out. I've never seen anything of it. And it was so iconic in the movie that they even put it on the movie poster. It's just, I, it is, it's fucking weird. It and you can weird. see, you can see those big foam wheels. And yeah, you can see the vehicle wheels under it that are actually propelling it. It's like a parade float. 
Uh, there is a protracted fight sequence in which Frog Lady gets vaporized, Percy gets run over, but he's unharmed because he's a robot. Wait, wait, wait. Why is he unkillable, whereas the mommy and baby died earlier? They got run over just the same. Because yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Comedy. He's a main character and main characters don't die. I don't know if Percy's a main character, but uh, plot armor. Yes, plot armor. That's it. Uh, <laughs> there we go. He's a character. Closer than baby and mommy. Well, I think that, yeah, that, that was the key. The, I think Andy hit the key point. Is it was funny when they died. It wouldn't have been funny if he had um, well, I mean, unless he's screaming children when nearby wailing about you, <laughs> then I would have found it hilarious. <laughs> or like a robot Batman and Robin. <laughs> Alfred, Andy, no! you are a special kind of person. Uh, anyway, so Jason engages in some hit-and-run swash and buckle that causes the skull roller to crash into some random piece of junk, roll a critical failure on its difficult terrain test, and explode in flames, uh, which conveniently immolates our bounty hunters. All vehicles would explode in flames in the 80s, I think. In the 80s and 90s, any crash results in a ball of flames. Yeah. It's solar-powered, so it explodes in diesel. <laughs> no, it had an extra gas tank just for exploding. Oh, bro, it's, cause it's, a, it's, it, it's because it is uh, made by a uh, actually Shelby unnamed electric car manufacturing company whose cars have a reputation for exploding and burning. They probably were using a Pinto under it. And they... <laughs> yeah, under all that. They just kicked the back bumper and the whole thing went up, so they'd saved on pyro. Oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, naturally, Lanky Nibs gets mortally wounded somehow, so we can get a little pathos fuel in our narrative tank. Um, Nibs chokes out some details about how to find Karina's father via some other random asshole named Weird Wendon, and then expires. Most unconvincing. It's buried <laughs> under a giant W. <laughs> Uh, let us all briefly adjourn. Hey, that, that, that's that's my line. Let us all briefly adjourn so we can use the Wiz Palace. What? All together? Haven't you played D&D? Never split the party. Hear, hear. Yo ho ho, here's your round of grogs and pitcher of margaritas. And more shrimp for you, me hearty. My thanks, Tavern Keep. Noise, keep it coming. Don't those smell a bit fishy to you? Past the prime. About to turn. Who cares? It's R you can eat. Yes, the fare's terrible, but the uh, portions are excellent. Pay attention, we have a real problem. I ordered scotch with a bourbon chaser. What's the problem? Look at this swill. We're looking. It looks like whiskey with a side of whiskey. Okay, this is clearly bourbon with a scotch chaser. Anyway, back to the map. It must be real. Look how dangerous it will be. All the little skulls with X'd out eyes. Oh, of course. Only a genius could solve that impossible maze leading to the comically large chest of gold coins. A genius, you say? Hey, Professor! What? Take a look at this. Hmm. Normally I'd say the hidden gold of Captain McBloodgulper isn't going to be a thing. See? Captain McBloodgulper was a lying bastard anyway. All he ever stole was 15 poker chips and a lady's blows. Ye gods, has he been here the whole time? Listen, I've had a 
three, three, three rums and cokes, a zombie, a, a grog, and a clam bam. Thank you, ma'am. You didn't actually drink one of those. And they are telling me that this is our time right here. Forget One-Eyed Willie. We got ourselves a real goddamn pirate map. See? I told you. Goonies never, never say, say die. die. One-Eyed Willie? <laughs> Wait, how did no one ever notice they put an obvious dick joke in a kid's face? Fucking hell. Fine. I give I give up. Hand me a grog. Has anybody else noticed that there is a booth full of rough-looking individuals in matching black suits and sunglasses watching us? Oh, you mean the ones wearing fezes, like us, and reading movie trivia magazines? The ones who keep shooting us dark looks? Yeah, I wouldn't worry about them. Yeah, lighten up, have a drink, or, or some shrimp, or these... meat? Nuggets? Well, actually, it's pronounced nougais. It's French. Hey, 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 mansplaining is my thing. <gasps> but, but they could be cinema assassins! <laughs> Unlikely, bruh. Have some shrimp. Or, or one of these new gays. <laughs> oh, I do like shrimp. Let me grab one. Hey! There are several sacred things in this world that you don't ever mess with. One of them happens to be another man's shrimp. Now you remember that, and you will live a long and healthy life. Oh. So... The titular Ice Pirates are now in possession of some discount robots, which admittedly needs some work, but the pirates are on a budget after all. An even smaller budget than this movie's producers. Hot on the trail, the next lead to finding Princess Karina's lost daddy and the water-filled planet that could free the galaxy. So you're saying that a band of men in possession of a ship and some discount droids must be in want of a weird Wendon in a water world to terminate the tyranny of the Templars. Okay, now you're just getting silly. Muppet prairie dogs on the surface pop up to bid them farewell as they fly off. On the ship, Nanny is concerned the princess has missed tea time. If you don't have your meal schedule intact, what do you really have left in this crazy world? The struggle is real. In addition to the robots, the crew also managed to bring Lanky Nibs, bevy of bebe farm animals, baby doggies, swipey wipey piglets. Why? Who cares? Just see them drink from baby bottles! Ah! Were the animals, like, really necessary? You're forgetting. Cocaine. Allegedly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The ship's cook, Zeno, whips up a feast in the galley with the help of some robotic hands, while the crew lounges at a table and digs up some research on the Seventh World. It seems there is still some debate over its existence. Apparently, travel magazines and books still exist in the future, proving there is still hope for print media. As a side note, it's delightful to hear Ron Perlman doing an impression of a Jewish mother as he prepares dinner for everyone. <laughs> he yeah. really can do everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's a triple threat. After Zeno presents his delicious turkey to the crew for dinner, the space herpy bursts out of the bird alien style to terrorize everyone. It escapes down an air vent again. This has been your food safety lesson about the importance of proper cooking temperature. Uh, the upshot is we didn't have to watch John Hurt wallowing around on his back like a trench coat full of broomsticks for a third time. <laughs> yeah, having him do it in Alien and Spaceballs was plenty. Once they reach Weird Wendon's world, you can really see the lavish set design kick in. Just kidding. 
lots of dry ice and a few plaster rocks, plus one dead tree. Did I mention all the fog? Perhaps the budget for said design went to the posse of Amazonian warrior women wearing leather and riding unicorns. What else would they be riding? This is a fantasy film. We even get a close-up of unicorn stabbing a killbot. Brutal. These are definitely not My Little Pony unicorns. Oh. My thought is that they uh, reused the steam and dried ice effects from Wizards for this one. (laughs) (laughs) After Jason and Princess Karina are captured, dragged off by whips, of course. Kinky. They're brought to Weird Wendon's palace for interrogation and execution. The strange animals motif continues with several servals who are just there to jazz up the place. Maybe Wendon has a fetish for strange animals. Wendon is waited on hand and foot by the warrior women. Hanky. Death by Snoo Snoo, right? <laughs> Wendon greets his captives with Welcome to the Playroom. And follows it up with several sarcastic, smarmy comments. Played by the peerless comedy writer Bruce Valanche, he is more annoying and weasley than truly menacing, even as he commands his guards slash servants to kill Jason. Roscoe swings in to save the day and dislodges Wendon's head. As it happened, Wendon's only just ahead. Hmm, kinky. Just the tip. But he still has a big mouth. <laughs> his sass and sarcasm make him a great character, even as just ahead. Jason and Roscoe are almost overwhelmed during their fight with the warrior women. If it weren't so serious, you might just think this was the prelude to an orgy. Kinky! Eh, Tuesday. Hey, I said keep it down over here. Right, I'm sorry. (gasps) Kinky! Princess Karina grabs a blaster and threatens Wendon's cranium, so Wendon orders his guards to let the ice pirates go. Princess Karina demands to know where her father is, and after a bit of no-fucking-around tickle torture, Wendon seems to relent. But in a cruel trick, Karina realizes that the person she sees is not her father. Roscoe confirms that it is rather a replicant. I mean, Omega Robot. Well, I'm not gonna lie about her chances of finding her father, but she has my sympathy. Back on the pirate ship, Roscoe has taken apart the Omega robot for clues, but it's Karina who realizes that her dad's ring is missing. And Wendon admits he has it hidden in his mouth. What else does he have in there? Don't ask. Kinky. Oh, I mean, in his defense, where else was he gonna hide it? He's just a <laughs> <laughs> He's got ears. Once Karina pairs her ring with her father's, it creates a hologram. Like in another space franchise. And now, Finally, then, Christ. Her father reveals the coordinates to the seventh world. We pause for a touching moment. Karina cries. And that it's set course for the seventh world. I think they were hoping we'd be more impressed by this than we actually are. Yeah. It, it <laughs> involved That's a the little theme for more, the whole movie. I think they expected us to be a little more invested than we actually were at this point. What, they're expecting the, the audience to be more invested than the, the investors invested in the movie? I mean, come on, that's a little. <laughs> <laughs> a new robot joins the crew, rebuilt from the junk robots purchased earlier. Roscoe, our robot engineer, explains that this time the robot is black because I wanted him to be perfect. Standards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next comes the sex scene between Jason and Princess Karina. 
Jason stops outside the door when he hears some suggestive moaning and snippets of dialogue like harder and don't stop. She was just finishing up with Percy, her robot butler slash protector. Told you he had other skills. Mm-hmm. As Percy leaves, steam venting from his ears. Karina says, I think I overworked him. Yeah, you did. Percy's presence in Princess Karina's entourage is most definitely a sex thing. Attacking intruders one minute, taking care of his mistress needs the next. He really is a multi-purpose machine. So he's a kill bot and a fuck bot. But not a merry bot. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> what was that data set in the next generation? Fully functional. No, oh, and yeah. anatomically correct. <laughs> Just like the Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that one takes a second. I always pause, and then Daniel! (laughs) (laughs) Space Lance Armstrong. Jason enters Karina's quarters wearing an open white shirt that would not be out of place on the cover of a romance novel. He orders the holopod in her room to play Passion Storm with the music to match. Apparently, the atmospherics include actual rain, thunder, lightning, and beach surf. The thunderstorm matches their intensity and with clever cutaways to raging waves timed to the sound of their lovemaking. Cue kissing in the rain and other sexy montages. It's like the cover of a cheesy romance novel came to life. The future is here. Leave it to the Templars <laughs> to intrude on a good time, though. Alarms blare, explosions for Zeno puts in his earring. Fashion first. Fucking A right it is. Actually, I think Percy comes first. Uh, are we going to go chasing <laughs> Percy? And off they all go with Jason into the time field Lakey Dibs warned them about. Zorn video calls them to monologue about his evil plan. But he really does it just to show off his truly amazing outfit. With the largest shoulder pads yet seen. Even while chasing his enemies, he knows how to make an entrance. See, what did I tell you? Fashion first. Y- yeah, okay, I have to give it to you. So, okay, let me take the uh, dis- the uh, summary from here, though. The Templars attack and board the ship. Suddenly, the time field shenanigans ensue. Time starts to speed up, one day per second, with digital clocks spinning furiously faster. In bursts and starts, beards grow at rapid rates, and all the baby animals on board are now grown up. Yoo! Kinky! Which explains why they're there. Not only that, but Princess Karina is now pregnant. Jason's response to this, by the way, is, sorry about that. Like, really, Jason? A moment later, Princess Karina now has an infant. Then a minute later, a young boy. In a bit of dark humor, Princess Karina turns to check on Nanny, but she has turned into a skeleton. (laughs) So funny. Special effects-wise, the filmmakers undercrank the film in certain parts of the extended fight sequence, so they play back at seeming super speed, while other segments are at regular speed. There are also strobe lights and narrow shutter angles, so everything feels like a rage once the E-trip has turned on you. And yes, I know exactly what that's like. The fight scenes seem to pass more quickly and jerkily. (laughs) Meanwhile, all of the actors have either been given steadily longer and grayer beards and hair until eventually they're simply replaced entirely by elderly actors in matching costumes. Robots are falling apart, too, leaking and causing other robots to slip on their own oil. They also discover that Percy has found and stomped the space herpy to death beneath his impervious metal boot. Because the space herpy had no other purpose in this entire fucking movie. Unfortunately, our brave fuck killbot is himself feeling the effects <laughs> of senescence and breaks down after his final act of 
quote-unquote heroism, saving them from an entirely pointless space repeat. May we all be so lucky as to go out after rescuing our friends from Space VD. Huzzah! Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. Absolutely. That's a, that's a good thing. The now elderly pirates try to swing from ropes and other manner of piratical shenanigans, but they're just too weak and frail now, because, you know, ageism. Killjoy even keels over and just fucking dies. <laughs> oh, this is a shame because uh, Ron Perlman actually set the record as the being the oldest action hero uh, in Hollywood uh, when he made Hellboy 2. So uh, he put the lie to this. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry. What a what a joy kill. <laughs> oh, God, really? Come on, man. Yeah, be better. So, ancient Zorn is carried in on a palanquin by robots to brag about the Templar victory, and all seems lost. Suddenly, a man who looks like a young Jason appears and defeats the remaining Templars, who are all also old as fuck. Doddering Princess Karina and ancient Jason rejoice that their now fully grown son has saved the day. They also rejoice because it saved the filmmakers time and money to simply recast Robert Urich as his own fucking son. <laughs> Quick cut to the bridge, moments before the Templar attack, and everyone is young again. They made it through the time field, and everything has reset. Huzzah! Well, huzzah for the Ice Pirates. Woo! Someone on the Templar ship lied about passing AP trigonometry and was off by a degree, so they got lost in time in the field forever. Sounds like a harsh punishment to anyone who's not great at math. You are off by one degree? Well, then you just have to languish lost in a time field forever. I don't care that you showed your work. It worked out great for our heroes, though. <laughs> That's how it actually works in space. One degree is a big fucking deal. Yeah, I know. One degree starts so small, and then it just keeps getting bigger. Q, the seventh world, fabled yeah. planet of limitless water, turns out to be Earth. It hangs in space just below them. What hangs? <laughs> <laughs> it hangs in space just below them. Huzzah! Roscoe pauses, then realizes aloud that this means we, Pice Pirates, are out of business. So much for piracy, I guess. Resolution be damned, credits be rolled. We get a freeze frame montage of the film we just saw. And that's it. Movie's over. The audience is left to handle the come down on its own. That was abrupt. I have a question. Since everything reset, does this mean the space herpy is still alive and menacing the ship? Don't ask questions you don't want answers to. <laughs> yeah, but I still don't get it. Look, it's a simple story. Boy meets girl. Girl loses boy when boy gets arrested and shipped off to a eunuch factory. Girl saves boy from emasculation only to threaten emasculation as an incentive for boy and his bros to help with their daddy abandonment issues and find seventh heaven. Boy gets girl space herpes for Thanksgiving. Boy, girl, bros follow a series of increasingly pointless leads that point to a variety of variety acts. Girl fucks bot, boy fucks girl, bad guys and killbots board ship and fuck shit up. Everyone fights at a time warp, rendered with cheap special effects and camera tricks. Girl, boy and bros arrive at the seventh world while all the bad guys die off screen in a horrific temporal accident. It's the same tired story we all may or may not have seen a million times before, depending on whether or not we have actually ourselves been trapped in an infinitely repeating temporal anomaly. I love you so much, Andy. So... What was the point of the space herpy? Ah, the tragicomic hero of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you were watching the same movie as the rest of us. Uh, those guys in the fezes, they're really staring daggers at us, folks. Oh, stop worrying. I'm calling another break. 
I need to pee. These bottomless margaritas go right through ya. Alright, let us briefly adjourn so that Hope can again pee. Uh, My pee actually... comes out as powder! <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to cut here? Wow, wow. I was going to make a Thimbalina joke. Sorry, guys. Nope, it is unnecessary. You win, sir. You win. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> So, you see, we start here at Spider Claw Creek. Cross here at Dismemberment Bay. Then solve the puzzle of Beach Blanket Bingo here. And then we, you know, at first, I didn't like this plan. But I've nearly finished this whole picture of margaritas. You know what? I think this plane has legs. You Going back for more shrimp. I think you may have exceeded their limits on refills. What? I thought this was our you could eat shrimp. Ah, uh, yes, but in the small print it notes that uh, greedy deckhands will be keel-hauled after their fifth plate. Well, I happen to have a sticker here from the waiter that proclaims me an outstanding first mate, which makes me an officer, no mere deckhand, so I can get another plate of fucking fried shrimp. Hmm, seems legit to me. It's a really big sticker. And gold print, so you know it's legit. More crog and shrimp for me and me salty crew. No ho ho at once, me hearty mates. These nerds better be big tippers. We want the finest shrimp of humanity. We want them here. We want them now. You come to the wrong place, buddy. All right. Now let's move to judgment. Okay, Ethan, take it away. Well, even if the creatives were doing coke while making this film, and by if we mean definitely, allegedly, but the movie doesn't feel cokehead in, say, the way that, like, I don't know, Buckaroo Banzai does, which <laughs> honestly feels like being trapped in a bathroom at a Hollywood house party by a screenwriter who's just done the entire eight ball without sharing and who has a hard-on to spend the next two-plus hours telling you about this really rad new screenplay. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Either way, both came out in 1984, so just saying. Um... Ice Pirates takes a lot of shots at a lot of stuff, and not all of it hits, or is ever really fully resolved, and that's okay, because <laughs> you're there to enjoy the ride. Um, like, take the Space Herpy. I remember not understanding the Space Herpy bit as a kid and filing it away as something that might make sense when I was an adult, but now that I'm an adult, it still doesn't make any more sense. <laughs> In fact, I would say that Kid Me thought the Space Herpy joke was funnier because it was just, like, weird and unexpected. And as an adult, like, I can analyze it and I get that they're probably trying to poke fun at 1979's Alien, what with, like, the leathery egg and the way it bursts out of the turkey like it burst out of John Hurt. Um, and they're, they're clearly mashing it up with, with, like, the greatest scourge of the pre-HIV disco scene. 
as well as the idea that pirates all have VD or whatever. But, you know, anyway, it's a, it's a whole big mishmash of ideas that kind of none of them really make sense unless you're allegedly high. Um, kind of kind of like a child's joke. They know these things are funny, so they try to put them all together and it doesn't always make sense. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, well, it's just... And, and they just need to say it louder and it gets funnier. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, add more to it and somehow it makes it more interesting. Um, but anyway, with my adult sensibilities and knowledge of the world, the whole thing with the space herpy just seems kind of muddled and it just contributes to the overall coked out vibe of this movie. Um, and actually even more so because it never really gets fully resolved. Again, like when you're talking with a coked out screenwriter in the bathroom who can't seem to hold a narrative for longer than four or five minutes before switching to the next really fucking awesome thing. Or a coked out child. Not anything I've ever been around, not anything I ever hope to be around, but eh, to speak, speak from experience, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, another thing, this film is a ripoff, but it really leans into being a ripoff in a way that says, you want swashbuckling space opera? I'll fucking show you swashbuckling space opera while gleefully thumbing its nose at its more commercially successful predecessors. Um, even though most of the cast weren't A-listers at the time, um, they many of them went on to become A-listers, and they all give really enjoyable performances, and they're all supported by the weird, outrageous marginalia like the redesign factory and the, the skull roller, although I don't think I called it that. Um, the space herpy, like I mentioned. Um, dudes dressed as robot doing the robot. <laughs> Um, the space disco feel of the whole thing. All of this works together to lend Ice Pirates a degree of character that make it stand out from the background of all the dozens of other pulpy sci-fi ripoffs from the 80s that were desperately trying to capitalize on the popularity of another <coughs> cosmic conflict. Uh, the brass balls on this one make it a success where the others failed. And to me, that's fun and memorable. Therefore, I deem it guilty. All right. Andrea, what do you think? Um, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought I had never seen it before. Um, but then when I started rewatching, I, there were certain key scenes that I remembered, like the bar where Maida cuts that pirate in half when she, Princess Karina does not want to dance with him. Uh, especially the table getting chopped in two is especially memorable. And of course, the redesign factory and the conveyor belt scene. Uh, were very. I saw them and I said, oh, I've seen this before along with the sales floor and the white leotards, um, stamped themselves on my psyche upon first viewing. <laughs> Horrifying, perhaps, but you know, definitely memorable. And um, the fact that those scenes lived rent-free in my brain, despite me not realizing they were from Ice Pirates, uh, most certainly hints at the cinema I suffered on an otherwise unremembered first watch. So despite my enjoying the movie, I have to judge it guilty. Hope. What do you got for us? So, like all the movies we've scrutinized so far, I'm very glad I didn't try to watch this one sober. It's a fun movie, but, like, it's fun in the way Spaceballs is fun. A campy parody of campy homages to other films. Like, I especially love how blatantly and unapologetically they reuse not only tropes, but actual scenery, props, and sound effects from so many movies. It's, it's like they just picked up everybody's leftovers, you know, like, let's make a collage, glue it all together. And the costumes are just, they're so campy and so fun. That that was a highlight. I, Angelica Houston's birdcage shoulder pads, those should have become as iconic as Leia's buns. But that said, I've heard more coherent stories told by my five-year-olds, so 
this film is absolutely guilty of cinemania. It reminds me of when my children are trying to tell me a story and they just keep throwing in new characters and, oh, but then this happened. Oh, and, and, and. And so then, and then. Guilty as fuck. Daniel, I'm afraid to ask, but what do you think? Uh, so I can't say I was a huge, huge fan of this movie in the, in the sense that I enjoyed watching it. Uh, I think that if it had simply said Mel Brooks's Ice Pirates at the beginning of it, I think that would have really covered for quite a lot of ground of all the gaps and weirdnesses and episodic nature of it. And I'm not even talking about, oh, if Mel Brooks had done this, it would have been a better movie, which is the case, right? Because it had a lot of aspects of it that felt kind of like you would expect from a Mel Brooks film where like, it's just little bits hanging together barely off of a, like a satirical framework. But like just literally slapping the two words, Mel Brooks's, in front of this thing would have been a big help. It was hardly the only ripoff and or satire of the movie that shall remain nameless. And I'll be honest, I had seen this before and it didn't stick in my mind particularly at first. Um, and I don't feel like it stood out in any particular way in many cases. And I know it's as inane as it is. So I was really leaning towards not guilty, but then I realized something. Um, and this is, I think, I think Professor Andrea hit it best that it's stuck in her mind. And why is that? Because it's cheap. And I don't mean cheap to make, but I mean cheap to syndicate. This was one of those movies that they played over and over and over again every like Saturday afternoon on TV when they were just looking to fill space, right? So this is one of those, you turn it on and suddenly you're, you're halfway through the, you know, the, uh, the scene where they're just like hacking off everybody's bits and tackle uh, and then stuffing them into white leotards. So in that respect, like this thing had so many opportunities to get that just completely coke addled, who needs a plot mentality into our minds. And, and therefore was a cunning, cunning vessel for Cinemania. So I have to name it guilty. So you're saying that um, HBO could have almost been called Hippio or H-I-P-I-O. Um, uh, HBO being short for Hey Beastmasters on. Could have been Hey Ice Pirates is on. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, HBO did some of that. But no, no, no. This, this would have been the kind of thing that was on like NBC, ABC, Fox, like way back this was definitely network television fair for the most part because uh, they don't curse that much and it's easy enough to cut out the truly offensive bits probably you know i do remember it they even included the space herpy bit they just never named it <laughs> i'm pretty sure though the robot the the pimp master 5000 he got cut <laughs> yeah of course he did i cut well, you bitch well, because of the because of the literal sex being displayed on his like well, on his was, chest. I went back and looked at it, and I was like, "Oh wow, there's not. It's not actually pornographic. In fact, she's not like she's not naked at all. It's uh, just, yeah, no, no, it's softcore. But you know, no, I mean, uh, well, I mean, softcore usually means boobs. There's no boobs. It's just you know, she's just kind of petting herself in kind of a, a V-neck top or something. Yeah, I mean, they, that, yeah, maybe it got pretty cut. sure that got cut, but you know, well, Pimbot don't give up the sugar for free, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right right um yeah I, and i know usually my role is to look for some kind of like even in the less obvious films like some mystical or occult or like esoteric meaning or accidental or otherwise 
I, I'm not finding it in this film. <laughs> like, it's just not there. Fair point. So, I'm starting to finally find my place where I'm coming from with the judgment because I have what I like to call terminal game master brain where I evaluate media on the merits of its interactability. Um, so I want to say that first of all, I definitely enjoyed this. It was really, really fun. And especially do not watch this film sober. Don't watch it sober. Do not ever do that. Um, it's so much more fun. Um, also with friends and also just experiencing this just absolute amalgamation of chaos on the screen, which is absolutely fantastic. And yeah, it's ripping off of everything and that's good. Um, it's very it's very much pulpy and um, as I add more uh, systems to my repertoire, this definitely reads like a dungeon crawl classics, sci-fi, uh, cyberpunk, just mashup of everything. This reads like a bunch of like 15 year old guys gathering around for tabletop and they come up with the edgiest characters possible and everything is just super over the top and and blown out of proportion and very much the end then and then and then but the end then is always interesting they always find a way to make it just extremely over the top ultimately unnecessary but just still so much fun to be on the ride no one we don't need plot. What do you mean? It's about the characters. It's about the silliness. It's about uh, having sex on a spaceship in the rain. Okay? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this kind of... It, it, I like that metaphor. Isn't it almost like, you know, that one 15-year-old GM's, like, heartbreaker homebrew where it's yeah. got everything. Yes. And it's got rules to cover everything, whether you're yes. post-apocalyptic, pre-apocalyptic, sci-fi, mm. opera, cyberpunk. But you uh, can see the Jive retro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can see all the influences in that GM's just like mashup of everything that they have posters of in their room. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, all of these yes. memories yeah. are just going to disappear like tears in spaceship sex rain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely feels like a GURPS campaign. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, from that uh, uh, um, that realm of just the and then and then and then I will deem this guilty. Okay, well I personally love this movie. I have a lot of good memories from seeing this in the theater, I believe when I was about 10. Anyways, it hit that perfect comedy meets Star Wars meets 1970s, early 80s Flash Gordon with a touch of the 1970s, 1980s Buck Rogers thrown in. I mean, honestly, if they could have got Gil Gerard to star in this, I would have eaten it up. It really does look like the Buck Rogers TV show from the 1970s. Twiggy would be perfect here. It is fascinating now in hindsight how many actually really big stars are in this hokey little movie about, you know, swashbuckling pirates and ice 
And honestly, yeah, the ice could have been anything, but the fact that they were actually stealing ice was amazing. You know, um, your point about Twiggy, like Angelica Houston kind of fulfills the role that Twiggy would have. <laughs> it's true. Uh, sexy Twiggy. I did not think about that. But that being said, um, this movie is very dear to me. At the same time, it did give me a certain amount of cringe, even back in the day. Uh, I mean, the whole scene with the nutcracker coming to wrench people's nuts off and the space herpy was disgusting. It actually reminded me of that gross earwig from Wrath of Khan that, uh, anyways, things like that really stuck in my mind. And being stuck in my head means that it is, of course, guilty of cinemania oh god all right andy talk to me i remember an evening some years ago when i was in bed trying to sleep thrashing about with my fevers and agonies and finally when sleep did come i found myself in a nightmare pursued by shadowy figures that reached out to claw and grip at me and like all dreams, I had no knowledge of the outside world. But suddenly, suddenly, I felt myself waking up and the golden light of consciousness drawing me up from that slumber. And in those last moments, as the nightmare faded and I knew that soon I'd be awake again, I just thought, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. And this film is nothing like that at all. This film, I feel, didn't do nearly enough of anything I wanted it to do. It calls itself Ice Pirates. There is not enough ice and not enough piracy. I wanted a lot more of both of those things. And in every scene, I feel like the really interesting stuff was happening either five minutes ago or five minutes after the bit we're seeing. What the hell was going on with Pimpbot that brought him to that place? What was going on with the, the guy who randomly decides he's going to escape, pretend to be a monk, pretend to be a knight? You remember Killjoy? What was his deal? I wanted to know more about that. What was going on with that robot family that was decimated and just left crying in the road and we were laughing and you were laughing and I was laughing? What happened to their broken dreams? All of, this, uh, all of these good things were left out and I feel like the film is almost focusing on the wrong things because there were ideas there and nuggets of something good, but they didn't give us everything they could have done. They didn't go as far as they should have done. It was camp, but not camp enough for my liking. I mean, so I, I do, I do want to ask you something uh, and, mm. I, and I want an honest answer here. Did you really want to know more about Killjoy? I feel we deserved it. I feel like he could have been the film on his own. What was his deal? He was having adventures. He was doing piracy that we never heard about. And we got the, the store brand TV version piracy with not enough swearing and no boobs. I feel like we were ripped off. This film promised so much and delivered so little. I mean, look, look, look at this shrimp, this bottomless shrimp. You think that's a good idea. You think bottomless shrimp is great, but shrimp shouldn't be bottomless. It's wrong. It's bad, and it leads to bad things. We've got all of the basics of a, a great film here, but the, the, the way they've carried it out, unfortunately, leaves me aching and wanting more. And in that 
vortex of loneliness that this film has led me to, I'm afraid I must find it completely guilty. Okay, uh, we're, we're doing something here. Really? You have an opinion? All right, out with it. Yeah, yes, come on over. We'd like to hear your opinion, please. Come on. Uh, are you nerds talking about ice pirates? Obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we are, as it happens. Head of ice pirates? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, some of Robert Urich's finest work. I can't believe he didn't get a Golden Globe nomination for it. Maybe Pia Zadora got it that year. Ice pirates are indeed. Well, thanks for nothing, wait, slave. This is why this is a cult. Weirdo. It's invitation only, and not just an everybody wander up and no, drop an opinion meeting happy time. Off you go. Oh, look at that guy. He's crazy. Yo, ho, ho. Here's your bill. Ah, shit. A bill? Clearly he is suffering from cinemania. Uh, how much does everybody have on them? Hmm, I think I have a coupon in my purse. Damn, it's expired. I found a gold coin under the table. Oh, no, it's plastic. That bad? Oh, that's a lot of numbers. Uh, Brother Andy, any luck on that treasure map? Almost there. And now, when we take the fourth letter from every word in the Kraken Jumble and look at its reflection in the mirror, 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 you can see that it spells out that the treasure is... Is... is? Friendship? What kind of fucking bullshit is that? A vast eat scallywags. Now, according to your bill, you owe $542.27, and you nerds better tip at least 20 goddamn percent. Excuse me, the menu clearly said that the grog was bottom. And I'm gonna tack on another 150 bucks for the table and the plates. Plus my tip. Now see here. Plus my tip. Are you hearing me? It's at 25% now. Uh, of course, of course. Uh, let me just take up a collection from my cohort. Dang, we have a big problem. I'm straight. I'm out of shrimp. Okay, what are we gonna do? Most of these waiters look like they actually work on the docks. I think half of them are longshoremen? See the tattoos? Fuck, are they really pirates? Tommy used to work on the docks. Right. Oh, oh, the tones of my home state anthem. Swashbucklers, privateers, reavers. And on top of that, we have the cohort of cinema assassins at the other table waiting to pounce the moment we leave the building. Wait. What? First I'm hearing of it. I have been trying to warn you for the last hour. Silence, you deflated cheese sack. Okay, okay. I think I have a plan. Everyone, just follow my lead. Okay, all right. Yeah, okay, okay. okay. Right. Well, follow the worst that can happen. Excuse me, excuse me. Yo-ho what? So, do you see those people in the black suits and the blue fezes? Yo-ho yes. I overheard that they were all going to give you bad Yelp reviews. What? Heal mm -hmm. all the scurvy dogs! Quick, out the poop deck! <laughs> poop. 
Oh, bloody hell. The waiters had real cutlasses. Wow, did you see the size of that fireball? That must have been all the fryer grease in the kitchen. Is the restaurant sinking into the river? Ah, now that is a good sign. It'll help about fire. But water doesn't put out grease fires. It, it actually makes them worse. Uh, looks like you can put out water with a grease fire, though. Let's just get on this bus. One on the bus Desk now. Ian. Anybody have hand sanitizer? Oh, <clears throat> all's oh. well that ends well. Oh my! Oh god! Oh man! I do not feel good. Well, you did just eat a small horse's weight in room temperature shrimp. <laughs> I'm gonna hurl. Not over here. What's past this? God, oh, it's all over my shorts. Bottomless That episode of the Cinemania Society was written and performed by Zachariah Burks, Ethan Ireland, Andrea Palladino, Andy Slack, Andre Martinez, and Hope Bravo, with special guests. Miles Miniachi as the board waiter. Produced and mixed and mastered by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Special thanks to Gary Coover and That Name Is for Concertina Music. Sound effects and incidental music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Visit us at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com for season one and profiles in Cinemania. We have social media for you to join the discussion. We have a subreddit at r slash the Cinemania Society and a Facebook group. If you like what you heard, head on over to Patreon and throw us a few bones. We love making fun stuff for folks to listen to, but it sure isn't free. Anything and everything helps. The Cinemania Society is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.